mother of Paul to the Corinthians. Now concerning food sacrifice to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Anyone who claims to know something does not yet have the necessary knowledge. But anyone who loves God is known by him. Hence, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that no idol in the world really exists, and that there is no God but one. Indeed, even though there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as in fact there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, for whom were all things, and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are, are all things and through whom we exist. It is not everyone, however, who has this knowledge. Since some have become so accustomed to idols until now, they think of the food they eat as food offered to an idol, and their conscience, food food, is defiled. Food will not bring us closer to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat, and no better off if we do. But take care that this liberty of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if others see you, who possess knowledge, eating the, in the temple of an idol, might they not, since their conscience is weak, be encouraged to the point of eating food sacrificed to the idols? So by your knowledge, these weak believers, for whom Christ died, are destroyed. But when you thus sin against members of your family and wound their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food is the cause of their falling, I will never eat meat so that I may not cause one of them to fail. Here with the Spirit is saying to the church.
and the Sabbath came, entered the synagogue, and taught. They were astounded at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority, and not as the scribes. Just then, there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent, come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying with a loud voice, came out of him. They were all amazed, and they kept on asking one another, What is this? A new teaching, with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame began to spread throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. Gospel of the Lord. Opportunity to talk about the challenges one could face returning to one's hometown. 
The Gospel of John gives us the first, the best, first public act recorded that we have. The changing of water into wine. This story is so good that it still gets a lot of press in Christian ways. But Mark throws us for a loop. He records Jesus' first act as preaching with crowd-drawing authority and then exercising an unclean spirit out of a man. And the people were amazed. This is perhaps the one common theme between all four Gospels. The people were amazed. So when there are so many other ways to show us that Jesus was amazing, how did Mark start with exorcism? Is it because this is how it really happened? Or is there some other angle? In my reading and pondering this week, two theories arose. One was about Jesus' identity. His first act tells us a lot about who he is, and Mark was trying to introduce him to us. The other theory had something to do with acknowledging the reality of good and evil. But first, let's talk about Jesus' identity, as reported in the Gospel of Mark. Mark, I think, wanted to make sure that we knew that Jesus came with a new kind of authority. The kind of authority that made people stop and think when he preached. The kind of authority that made him different from anyone else who had ever come before. The kind of authority immediately recognizable by an evil spirit as a serious threat to the status quo. Jesus displayed an authority unwilling compromise with evil, and thus evil was banished, and the people were amazed. So what was the evil that he banished from that man in the synagogue that day? I don't know. I don't know what is and isn't true in the sometimes scary and confusing world of the spiritual realm, where good and evil perhaps reside alongside one another. I do know that evil exists in our world. If it did not, Jesus never would have had to come to earth in the first place, and he never would have been tortured and hung on a tree to die. And we would never have had bloody crusades, or wars, or genocide, or government sanctions, torture, or guns, or corporate fraud, or extreme wealth divisions, or suicide bombers, or any other evil that we have indeed had and continue to have in our human story. But it is so easy to see these massive systematic evils as things outside of ourselves that we have no power or authority to do anything about. The thing is, Jesus came here to show us how he could be. And if he showed us how to have authority over evil, then perhaps we are called to try that authority on every now and then. When we go to Boston on Mother's Day to march against gun violence alongside the mothers whose children have been taken from them by a culture of oppression, fear and bloodshed, we are standing up against evil. When we choose to consume products that have been made by companies who 
focus on justice rather than on the bottom line, we are standing up against evil. When we recognize our own destructive tendencies, be they related to personal wounds or addictions or lack of awareness, we get the information and the help that we need to move past those things. And we are standing up against the evil that is made manifest in each of our lives. Whether I'm complaining about a neighbor, or losing my patience with my children, or being willfully ignorant about the conditions in prisons and inner city schools and third world hospitals and refugee camps, I'm allowing evil to creep into the world through me. Which is why I need church. I need the tools that I find here to keep me aware of the potential power of evil. There are three significant tools that we get to use every Sunday, and I'm sure there's more, but these three come to mind. First, we say a communal confession, and we ask for forgiveness for anything we have done that has been destructive or hurtful, whether or not we intended to do it. Then, we say the Lord's Prayer, and in the Lord's Prayer, we pray the words, Deliver us from evil. God, please get any evil that is in me out and keep me from being harmed by it or from partaking in it again. Then we receive the Eucharist. We take Jesus into our very bodies so that we can more fully embody his empowering love, his healing kingdom, and even his confident authority. An authority that is stronger than any other force on earth. Because it is an authority of love. And as Christians, it is our inheritance. We just have to ask ourselves if we're feeling courageous enough to wield it. I can more easily find that courage in a faith community where shame and guilt are not part of the equation. In our baptismal covenant, we vow to respect the dignity of every human being. There is no room for shame in that vow. I believe that the use of shame by religious institutions over the years has been itself a form of evil, one that both disrespects the dignity of human beings by shaming them, and one that forces us to pretend that evil does not exist in our lives, because if we admit that it does, we have to live into the belief that shame tells us that we are inherently bad happens in our lives. And yet we know that we are good, that we are doing the best that we can, that God made us to embody love and that each of us does so. And still, destructive things happen in and through us. C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Screwtape Letters, in which a fictional devil writes letters to his nephew. He tells his nephew that the best way to get into people's lives is to make them believe that evil does not exist. If we are to stand up against evil and exercise authority over it and banish it from every corner of our lives and of the world, then we first need to open our eyes to see it. And once we see it, we name it. We pray about it. And if we have ended up taking part in it, we ask for forgiveness. 
Let us pray for the church and for the world. In the Anglican cycle of prayer, we pray for the Diocese of Guerrero, Uganda, the worldwide Anglican communion, and for Justin, Archbishop of Canterbury. In our Diocesan cycle of prayer, we pray for the ministries of St. James Church, Cambridge, the Society of St. John the Evangelist, Cambridge, St. John's Chapel Episcopal Divinity School, Cambridge, St. Peter's Church, Cambridge, and United Interfaith Action. We pray for Catherine, our presiding bishop, and Alan and Gail, our bishops, and for all clergy and other ministers. Grant, Almighty God, that all who confess your name may be united in your truth, live together in your love, and reveal the glory of your world. Lord, in your mercy, Pray for all in authority, remembering especially Barack, our president, and Charlie, our governor. Guide the people of this land and of all the nations in the ways of justice and peace, that we may honor one another and serve the common good. Lord, in your mercy. Give us all a reverence for the earth as your own creation that we may use its resources rightly in the service of others, and to your honor and glory. Lord, in your mercy, bless all whose lives are closely linked with ours, and grant that we may serve Christ in them, and love one another as he loves us. Lord, in your mercy, we pray especially today for John, Robin, Ross, Rick, Alice, Bill, Sue, Raylan, Phyllis, Minnie, Kathy and Don, Michael, Trey, Kristen, Margaret, Eric, Amy, Mary Emily, Dan, Bailey, Susan, Claire, Beverly, Cynthia, Jada, Joan, Kirsty, Jim, Don, Ben, Bobby and Siggy, Dale, Gwen, the Cleary family, Harry, Gwen and Jenny, Spencer Louisa, Olive, Kathy, Aviona, Reverend Stephen, Susan, Deborah, Jane, Edie, Liz, those without jobs, those serving in the military, and all who work for peace. Are there others? Comfort and heal all those who suffer in body, mind, or spirit. Give them courage and hope in their troubles and bring them the joy of their salvation. Lord, in your mercy, we commend to your mercy all who have died, remembering especially Sally Gard, Randy Carlson, mother of Ellen Carlson, and John Creedon, father of Larry Barney. Are there others? That your will for them may be fulfilled, and we pray that we may share with all your saints Lord, in your mercy.